Thank you so much, Mr. Ben. Again, it's good to be with you guys today. Take me a little bit longer to get set up. I have to have a stool today. I'm going to give you guys a hack about Pastor Josh. Uh, if I ever need a stool, it means it's probably going to be a more serious topic. It's never a good sign. Uh, it's, it's one of the ways that I cope. Uh, today, we are talking about a topic that, uh, quite frankly, I tried to pawn off as many times as I could. Uh, sexual, uh, sexuality and gender identity. Jacob didn't want to do it. I offered Betsabe if she wanted to take it. Abby, I said I would lead kids. For some reason, no one wanted to preach on this topic. Um, but we're going to pray, and we're going to go to God's word, and uh, we're, we're going to lean in. Uh, let's go. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are a good God. Heavenly Father, Lord, you have a plan. Heavenly Father, Lord, so often, these topics that we're going to talk about today, um, we start at the wrong place. Lord, when we start at the wrong place, it makes sense that we would end up in some weird and complicated and messy places. Lord, I pray that as we talk about uh, you, as we talk about ourselves, as we talk about our culture and our world, uh, that you give us your eyes. We say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So we are in the middle of a sermon series called American Idols. And we're looking at different idols that are in our current culture. And to be completely honest with you, when I wrote this sermon series, when I kind of pitched it to staff of like, hey, I want to tackle some of these more complicated issues, they all looked at me and they're like, Josh, you, you sure you want to do this? This is going to get messy. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, totally. We're good. We're good. But then I wrote up the series description. I wrote up the different topics and I almost backed away. I was like, you know what? We're close to Christmas. Maybe we just do like eight weeks. Everyone loves Christmas. There's no debate about Christmas, right? Maybe we just do eight weeks of Christmas. This will be better. And I, I kid you, I was looking at the sermon series, and I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this. And the reason why I ended up doing it, the thing that turned me was I was looking for an old document. I was looking for some old notes that I had. And I came across a letter that I'm not sure I even ever sent, but I had drafted it. And the letter started off with, we have left our people unprepared. It was January 2021, and all the mess. And man, just all of 2020 was ugly and messy and complicated. And what I realized was is that the church and the people in the church, people who were saying they were following Jesus, looked just like everybody else. They were wrestling with the same stuff, and it was just as ugly and just as messy. And I was conflicted as a pastor. And, and I was realizing that as church leaders, we'd left our people unprepared. And so I, I read that letter and I said, I, I'm not going to back down. And that doesn't mean I'm going to war. And that doesn't mean we're pulling out our weapons today. That's not what's going to happen. But instead saying, as Christians, as people who believe in Jesus, we should be able to lean into some of these things. We should have tools. The church should be giving you tools to help navigate some of these issues. So, th so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to navigate it, and I'm going to do something that is going to seem a little counterintuitive. I'm going to make things worse before I make them better. All right? And now you may be saying, Josh, we don't need this situation to be any worse. It's pretty messy. It's pretty complicated. Let's make it simpler first. But we can't just yet. Because the reality is, it is already messy, but we don't even realize how messy it is. There's some homework we got to do. There's a little bit of background we need to do to really understand how broken and messy this is so then we can figure out, okay, where do we as Christian followers go from here? 
and the first part of it is that the church, we as Christians have to be honest that we have a very broken and messy and complicated relationship throughout our history with sexuality and gender, right? We just do. If you look at the last 2,000 years, just Christianity, we're not even getting to the Old Testament. We're just saying Jesus onward and how we have looked at women's issues, how we have looked at men's issues, how we have looked at sexuality and sex. It is a complicated, windy road where there are times where the church has been at the forefront of some of the most crucial, essential movements for females, for how we look at sexuality, right? We've done some good things, and we've done some really, really broken things. I was joking with my brother yesterday. Actually, he was joking with me about how cults and just how they just use power and they amass power, right? To get, to get money, to get power, to get 18 different wives, right? The church is all kinds of broken. And if you were to go throughout any century, you're going to find something. You're going to find Jesus people, some who for their own personal benefit, but oftentimes just for their own culture, thought they were doing the right thing. Really believed faithfully that they had these situations down, right? So if you were to go back 200 years, most Christians would say women should not have the right to vote, right? And they were very confident in that. They believed they were reading the Bible. They believed they were following God's word. And they were very confident in that fact. They were very comfortable in that fact. And we look 200 years later and we're like, eh, kind of missed the boat on that one, right? You look through any generation, and what you're going to find is that we miss the boat on cultural issues. Every generation of Christian, every color of Christian, every language of Christian struggles with some cultural issues. Sometimes it's very small things, right? Like women should have to have long hair. No bobs for any of you, right? And we can find Bible verses that say that, and we can say, see, I am interpreting God's word correctly. And then we move on, and we're like, eh, pretty sure that's not the point of that verse, right? T to more complicated things, like saying it's totally okay to own slaves. And we're like, no. No, no, it's not, right? We have a complicated past with identity issues and with cultural issues. And if we can't be honest about that, we're not going to understand why sometimes the world in its current state looks at the church and it's like, I'm not sure if I can trust you. And we can look and we can say, yeah, they did that 200 years ago, Josh, totally makes sense. 50 years ago, totally makes sense. Y'all, some of this stuff is rather recent, for those of you who have been the church a while, if you think about even just the early 2000s, mid-2000s, how we used to talk about sexuality and some of the language we would use, I, I get uncomfortable just thinking how in my generation we talked about some of this stuff. It's messy and it's broken, and we have to understand that if we are going to lean into this conversation. But here's the deal. Yes, the church has gotten cultural issues wrong, but if we're going to be honest, the world and every generation of the world gets cultural issues wrong because it's not a Christian problem, it's a human problem. And the church is full of humans, but as it turns out, so is the world. Right? And every culture, we, we think we've got it right. 
we think we're progressing, and sometimes we are, and sometimes we're regressing, and we, we just don't know it. And so in the same way that the church has issues, the world has issues. Different religions have issues. Atheist has issues. It's a people problem, not a specific philosophy problem. And, and that's something that's really clear in Scripture, Scripture is clear that, yes, the world is broken. This is what Romans says. Romans chapter 3, verses 9 and following. For what shall we conclude then, Paul writes? Do we have any advantages? Well, not at all. For we were already made the charge that both Jews and Gentiles, so that's everybody, you were either Jewish or Gentile, Jew or everyone else, were all under the power of sin. For as it is written, and then he quotes the Psalms, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have all become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of viper is on their lips. The mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. The way of peace they do not know. There is no fear in their, guy, their eyes over and over and over again. It says everyone. Not those in the church versus those out of the church. Not, not those of a specific skin color or those of a specific language or culture. It says everyone has missed the mark. We've all face planted. We all in our own ways got broke. And so the first thing we need to realize is that the brokenness of the world, sin, it's way deeper than we know. I was, I was talking to staff a couple of weeks ago and about how the church has like specific sins that we like to focus on, right? And like there's certain sins we're like, no, we're totally cool with. Gossip, gossip's not gossip, it's praying for other people, right? That's why I need you to know this, right? Where really it's just gossip, it's just tearing other people down. That's not Jesus. Right? How, how we look at things like money, how we think, look at things like marriage, this idea that, you know, it's mo most important that you as a family can show up to church for two hours on Sunday and play pretend. How are you doing? Oh, Pastor Josh, I'm so blessed. I mean, my car just broke down. My house is literally on fire. Uh, you know, my kids X, Y, or Z, right? But we have sins that we think are appropriate, and then we have sins that aren't appropriate. But the reality is, it's just all broken. And it's worse than we know. It's always worse than we know in every area of our life. The brokenness, it's all around us. And that's the reason why every culture, every generation of Christians doesn't realize they're getting something wrong. Because just all around us, and we can focus, okay, yes, murder, that's bad. We normally agree on that one. But, but then all the other stuff gets gray real quick. And what scripture says is, no, y'all, we're all broken. We're all trying to muddle our way through every generation, every culture, every Christian church. Right? But there is good news, because if it was just that, we're in trouble. But, but the good news is that if the brokenness is bad, grace is even more powerful. This comes from Ephesians chapter 2. And some of the best words on God's grace and how powerful it is. Verse 4 and following. But because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. There you go, Rick. 
with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions, for it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in this coming age he might show the incomparable riches of grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. He goes, yeah, the world is broken. But the good news is this grace, this charos, it literally means gift of God, is for you. No matter how broken you are, no matter how weird things get, grace is for you, grace is for me, and it covers us up. And so if, if we underestimate the power of brokenness, we also underestimate the power of grace and how that can change and how that can allow us as Christians to navigate broken, complicated worlds and situations differently. And this is good news because then when we have to go into topics and we are going to now lean into some of this, okay, so what do we do with gender? What do we do with sexuality? How do we as Christians lean in? I'm going to tell you right now, I am not going to give you the answers you want, right? Because there are going to be about half of the church that's like, Josh, I really need you to lean on this side of the equation. And the other half of the church is going to be like, Josh, I really want you to lean on this side of the equation. And that is not what I'm going to give you. What I'm going to give you are tools. What I'm going to give you are truths that are going to help you in this situation, but that's going to help you with pretty much all of these idols that we're trying to tackle. And through that, we're going to grow slowly and graciously, and we're going to share that grace with other people. All right? So, back to idolatry. We've been saying an idol is anything other than God seen as the source of our significance, of our security, or our satisfaction. Now, the word source is the big one there. We've said this every time. There are lots of things that you get satisfaction out of, right? So yesterday, I got to take my brother to the first time to the Renaissance Fair. It was so much fun, right? Just seeing all the costumes, had a good drink in our hand, just living it up. I got satisfaction from that, but that's not the source of my satisfaction. It's not the root. Yesterday was a gift from God. So I got to enjoy it, but it's the gift, not the God, right? The gift isn't the God. Where we find our security from. We talked about that last week with money, right? Where we find our um, significance from. And when we talk about gender and sexuality, they are idols. And I actually had to change this slide. Because I originally said sexuality and gender have become idols. But as I thought about it, I'm like, wait, no, they've always been idols. They were just socially acceptable idols. Well, let me give you an example. Macho man, alpha male personality. It's been around for a while, right? This isn't a recent thing. I'm, I'm strong. Got myself a big truck, right? Got myself a good job. Got myself a wife. And in that, we found security. In that, we found satisfaction. In that, we found significance. There were female archetypes that we found our security in, that we found our satisfaction in. We have been doing this for generations. And so if we're going to talk about what's going on now, we got to look back and be like, no, this has been a long, ongoing problem. These challenges, this complication, this mess, it, it's not new. This is something that humanity has been struggling with. It's part of the reason why the church has such a his, uh, messy history with these subjects. Right? 
And also, the new branches that are coming out in some of these topics, this is, we do, we are wrestling with some new stuff. And so we've also got to figure out, okay, it seems like these are acute inflection points at the moment. So, so how do we move forward? What are the tools that we have as Christians to be able to say, God, I realize that you made us. I realize that this is a mess. How do we as Christians move forward? And this is where the good news comes in. These are where the tools come in. This comes from John chapter 1, verse 14. The word, and this is talking about Jesus now. This is Jesus' birth. Became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That word dwelling is the word tabernacle, and it literally means he pitched his tent. So God came and he put up a tent among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This, this is huge, guys. Because right now, everyone's trying to find truth, right? We're all trying to find the compass through these culturally complicated issues. I am, you are, your neighbor who doesn't believe in Jesus, all of them are trying to navigate their way through. And what we have here in John is saying that the ultimate source of truth is found in a person, not in a set of propositions. Think about that for a second and why this is a good news. Truth is found in the person of Jesus, not in these five statements, I believe. It's five. See, I can count. Man, math is awesome. No, these five statements, I believe, right? It, it's not that. Instead, we find truth, the ultimate source, in a person which is good because the world is complicated. And sometimes one propositional phrase, this is what I believe about gender. This is what I believe about this situation doesn't work. It doesn't fit perfectly, right? But a person, a person is complex, a person allows us to engage and walk with us and dialogue with us and is able to individually respond to situations. So it's not that truth doesn't exist. Don't, don't think that I'm saying that truth is subjective. It's not, but truth is complicated. And the world is complicated. And the good news is we have a God who shows up and says, y'all, if you're looking for truth, I have good news for you. That, that I am truth. I am a person, though, and... It's like the ultimate chat BT, right? Like you go and you try to ask it a question, right? And it's got like all the database. It's that, but God, and not clanky and junky, right? It's, it's the source that we can go to through these complicated issues and learn from and seek out and have confidence in and full of grace and truth, not just coming at us with fastball after fastball after fastball hitting us upside the head, but instead, a person who loves us and cares about us and loves and cares about the people that we are doing life with. So the first tool that we have is a person, not a statement of beliefs. And yeah, there are statement of beliefs that go with that, Apostles' Creed and everything else. But it's the person that we put our trust in, and that's where we seek our hope and our faith. Uh, oh yeah, and this is also the big thing. Uh, because he's a person, uh, y'all, I don't care where your gender is. I don't care where your sexuality is. Jesus is going to mess with you. That, that happens to all of us. And that's actually good news because all of us have broken sexuality. All of us have broken ideas of what gender is. But if you are committed to following Jesus, every area of your life is going to get messed with. Every area of life is going to get stretched. Every area of life is going to get purified and, and made to reflect God just a little bit better. And again, that's good news. 
It's hard news sometimes, but it is good news. All right, continuing on, we're going to jump over to uh, 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy is written by Paul to one of his main disciples. And he had these words, verse 14 and following. But as for you, he says, continue in what you have learned and what you have become convinced of, because that you know what you have learned, because uh, you know from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you were, have been known to know the scriptures, which are able to make you wise in salvation through Christ. And then he says these words. He says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That, that phrase, God-breathed, is actually an active phrase. Essentially saying God is breathing through scripture. It's alive. And it has a purpose. It says that scripture is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, in right relationship. That's what righteousness means. God wants you to have right relationship with your neighbor. He wants you to have right relationship with your kids. He wants you to have right relationship with your spouse. He wants you to have a right relationship with him. And it is useful so that the servant of God may be equipped for every good work. So as Christians, and this is where things get a little bit more... I don't want to say complicated. What we are committing to is allowing the biblical narrative to shape how we see the world. At least at this church, that's what we're committing to. Now, mind you, notice the words that we're using here. I didn't say the Bible, and the Bible is the biblical narrative, but sometimes we get this messed up. Because I can play proof text with you and argue for a bunch of things that may not align with the biblical narrative, right? So I can convince you, y'all, women, if your hair is less than eight inches long, you are actively sinning. And woman, you should then come up to me and smack me in the face and be like, get back in your lane, Josh, right? We're not talking about proof texting. What we are saying is that there is a narrative, there is a story in the Bible that we as Christians are saying that we want to let shape and form our life. In the same way, if we are going to let Jesus in, if we are going to let that narrative shape us, it is going to stretch us. And it's going to stretch or sometimes limit what we think about certain things and how we think about certain things. And so we have to wrestle with Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 of God creating man and woman for one another uniquely to complete one another. And we have to say, okay, this is, this is the narrative that we are saying we believe in, so what does that mean to how I look towards sexuality? What does that mean to how we look towards sexuality? While also realizing that every generation is going to get it wrong. So hold those truths, hold those convictions lightly, y'all. Because a decade from now, two decades from now, God may be challenging you or encouraging you in a different way. It does not mean that truth is relative. It just means that we are broken and we live in culture. And so we have to be very gracious in this. We have to be gracious with ourselves and we have to be gracious with the world. Right? The Son of God came full of grace and truth. And so allowing ourselves to be shaped by this narrative of Scripture and what God is doing into major in the major things. You know what the two major things are? Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
Everything else flows from that. And that doesn't mean it's not important. It just means, y'all, keep the major things major, and we'll work out the rest as we go. And, and allowing the biblical narrative to form and shape how we look at these complicated issues. Got one more section of scripture for you. One of my favorite sections of scripture, it's what Ben read. And it's written by David. And the Psalms were kind of the ancient music, the ancient worship text that the church, or at that time the synagogues, they would play. And he writes these words. He says, for you, God, created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all of my days were ordained for me, were written in your book. Before one of them came to be, how precious are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. The last tool we're going to talk about today gets us back to that original question of where is the source of our security? What is the source of our significance, our identity? What is the source of our satisfaction? And right now, we live in a world that is in an identity crisis. And this is across the board. Right? I don't care where you are. Politically, you are in an identity crisis. I don't care where you are with your sexuality. I don't care where you are with your gender. We are in an identity crisis. That's the issue. And if we try to sink ourselves into the gifts, into the individual identities, into the individual aspects of our sexuality, we've already missed the boat. Because there's a source of that. And it's in putting our ultimate trust and confidence in the source that we actually can then engage these other issues from a different posture. And y'all, honestly, this for me is probably one of the most uh, personally, it's how I got into ministry. So, okay, this was way back machine, 30 years ago now. Uh, I had identity issues. And it's not the same as that we deal with today. Right, so it wasn't so much my sexual identity or my gender that I was wrestling with. I just didn't like me. I had a really hard time for a few years. In four years, I went to four different schools. We moved a lot. Uh, when I was in fifth grade, uh, kind of blew up. Uh, it was Valentine's Day. You guys remember the boxes? Did the, I don't know, teachers, do you guys still do the Valentine's Day boxes with cards? Right? Elementary school, okay, so fifth grade, elementary school, that's what we do. And I remember the cards I got. I had gotten Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle cards, right? And so you'd fill one all out for each of your classmates. Uh, and then they would fill one all out for you, and you'd go around, and you'd put them in like the, everyone had their own shoe box that they had made, right? So I did that. I went out to recess. I came back in, and then it was, our it was everyone's time to open up the cards. And everyone had returned the cards I had given out. And it just crushed me. And that was the next four years of my life. I didn't like myself. I spent hours every night just watching TV. Anything I could do to numb myself. 
because I didn't like who I was. I wasn't good enough at sports. I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't funny enough. I didn't like my identity. And I actually remember the moment where like, God gave me the peace that allowed me to get out of there. I was wrestling, and my, my mom had told my dad. My parents were divorced, and so I, I was with my dad, and we were sitting in a motel parking lot. And in the back of his car, and he said, Josh, God doesn't build junk. It's the God of the universe who created, think of the coolest thing you've ever thought, you've ever seen. A waterfall, Niagara Falls, the Grand Canyon, the solar system. He said, God, that God built you, and he doesn't build junk. In the words of Psalms, and my dad actually read this verse to me, he says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Acts Church Leander, if you take nothing else from today, in your wrestling with your own identity or with your kids, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. The God of the universe made you. He put you together. With all your idiosyncrasies, all your weirdness, he made you. And you reflect him. And that is beautiful. And that is something that we can build our identity on. And so for any students that are in here, for anyone who's wrestling with that, if you hear nothing else, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That is your primary identity. Everything else, and again, guys, I get it. Hormones are a mess. Gender is, all of it's messy. I'm not saying that this cleans everything up. But it gives you a foundation to stand on. And you can build your life on that. And parents, if you hear nothing else, continue to speak that over your kids. Get further up towards the source. And they're going to wrestle with it. All of us wrestle with it. It's hard being in middle school. It's hard being in high school. But having that truth, having that foundation to stand on will give you better eyes. It will give you more grace when things get complicated. It will give you confidence and truth. And it will help you love people better. And it will help you see that in other people as well. We have tools as Christians to lean into these issues. And it's complicated. And we're not going to do it perfect. And 10 years from now, we're going to look back and be like, ooh, Kind of missed the boat on that, 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 that branch. That's okay. Because the good news is it was always broken. And we've always been broken. And we've always had a God who specializes in brokenness and yet comes in and redeems. And his grace again overflows on top of us. And we meet him again and again and again. And we're sent out to be agents of love. And again, to major in the majors, y'all, to love God with everything we have. And then to love our neighbor as ourselves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you're good. Heavenly Father, Lord, you have a plan. Heavenly Father, Lord, your word says all of our days are already numbered in your book. Lord, and we wrestle with that and we fight that, Lord, and so we come asking for forgiveness for the times where we don't love you like where we should, where we don't love others, where we allow the world's narrative to define how we see things like gender and sexuality. Whether in ourselves or in others, Lord, where we're not full of grace and truth, Lord, we confess. We ask forgiveness, but we are bold to ask because your word says that you are gracious and good and you forgive us. And not only forgive us, Lord, but you put us back together. And, and you give us in a source and a foundation and an identity that, that surpasses anything that the world can offer. Lord, that we have a good God who is for his children. 
We say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. We continue with worship.